This is Ashley from GoldenGoddesses.org, and welcome to Threshold to Ascension Radio on this fine Thursday, January 17th, at least in North America. We're three days out from the super blood wolf moon total lunar eclipse, that's a mouthful, that will be visible in much of the United States this Sunday. And if you recall, when I had Laura Eisenhower on the show a few weeks ago, Laura mentioned the astrological energy of 2019 as all about anchoring or birthing, grounding your dreams into your waking reality. And so those intentions will be energized if you meditate during this upcoming total lunar eclipse. So perhaps if you haven't already taken some time as the co-creator that you are to set your manifestation intentions for 2019, you're gently being nudged to do so before Sunday. Just to give you a little understanding of the energy of the total lunar eclipse, according to Salunter King of evenstarcreations.com, it's going to trigger a lot of power and control dramas to start imploding on those who've gotten away with their destructive actions. The old stranglehold by lower astral entities and out-of-control disconnected gods, the god matrix of illusion, with their respective puppets on the earth plane are in for a rough ride, and we're seeing that paradigm and other paradigms continue to crumble around the planet. And it's about time, I think, most of us feel. For those of us on our spiritual journey, as we mentioned last week, it's about inner housekeeping, clearing our energy space of implants, contracts, cores, agreements we've had with the lower entities and the matrix of illusion. So if you haven't been doing that, it's a good opportunity to start. A supplement for 2019 to honor the body temple and keep your frequency as high as possible. And we'll be talking about frequency more in tonight's call. For those interested, I'll be doing a cosmic alignment and activation teleconference this Sunday from 6 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. Pacific time. It will end before the lunar eclipse begins at 7.33 Pacific time. And there's a link on my BBS radio profile page on Threshold to Ascension Radio under the image of Laura Eisenhower for registering or pre-ordering the meditation if you can't join us live. Before I bring on my amazing guest, Mary Rodwell, let's just take a few minutes to co-create clearing of our energy and surround ourselves in a higher energy field. So if you're not driving, close your eyes and center in your heart. And set the intention to breathe in the divine light of source. And as you exhale at your own pace, just let go of any of the chaotic energy or duality dramas of the third dimension. Just breathe it out. On your next in-breath, breathe once again in that divine light of source deep into your being. And when you breathe out, do so with the intention of releasing any hooks or cords or energies from others that you may have 
and are acted with or taken on during the day. And this in-breath, again, breathe in the divine light of source. And this time when you breathe out, surround yourself in a golden orb of divine light. As you claim your sovereign empowerment as the light being that you are, always have been, and always will be. Even if you're just beginning to remember. Now from your heart, invite your I am presence to recalibrate this golden orb around you to the highest vibration of divine multidimensional light and consciousness available to you at this time. And know that it is so. And see, feel, imagine, know the energy spiraling out from our golden orbs of light throughout the space where I am, the space where Mary is, the phone lines and the computer lines, and the space where you, our listeners, are. And again, claiming your sovereign empowerment, command that only energies in alignment with divine light, divine love, divine truth are frequency compatible with this sacred space we've created. And all other energies are transported and transmuted in the healing light of source. And so it is. Just take a few deep breaths and return to this new now moment. I have to laugh when I have powerful guests like Mary on the show, because although I was freezing before we started, the energies are coming in, the guides are coming in, and I'm getting quite warm, and I'm so delighted to welcome Mary to the show. I've had the honor of working Mary Rod with Mary Rodwell on one of her previous visits to the United States, and all the, all the universe opened a new doorway for me before she landed, so she and I weren't actually able to meet during that visit. I have a deep heart fondness and nothing but the utmost respect for Mary, her commitment to her mission and her passion for assisting thousands upon thousands of individuals who have had contactee experiences. Mary Rodwell is fondly known as the alien lady and is recognized internationally as one of the world's leading researchers and writers in the UFO and contact phenomenon areas. Her resume is quite extensive, so I'm going to hit a few of the highlights so we can get to the juice of the interview. She is the author of the highly acclaimed books, Awakening, How Extraterrestrial Contact Can Transform Your Light, Your Life, and her new book that came out in 2016, The New Human, Awaking to Our Cosmic Heritage. She's filmed documentaries, recorded meditation series, organized conferences, conducted workshops around the world. Mary's research of the global phenomenon of extraterrestrial encounters explores evidence from a scientific, biological, psychological, anthropological, spiritual, and historical perspective to support what she believes is a genetic engineering program for upgrading Homo sapiens, leading to a paradigm shift in human consciousness. Mary has also found data that suggests children are being altered and transformed on many levels through extraterrestrial encounters. And her book, The New Human, explores this further. I'm going to talk about that and more tonight. Mary, welcome to the show. Ashley, wonderful lady. Um, it's always an absolute <laughs> pleasure to talk with you. And 
for that wonderful introduction. Thank you so much. Oh, it's such an honor. You know, I just I just connected with you so deeply the first time we talked. And although originally you were scheduled to be the sh on the show on November 15th, our time when the fires hit, I'm really, I'm so excited that we had a chance to reschedule. So thank you. I know how busy your schedule is. It's always a pleasure. And you know, Ashley, that one of the priorities for me and why I honor what you're doing is it's only through these kinds of mediums that we can actually reach people and, and give them the information many of them are seeking. So it's an absolute vital part, I think, at the moment of the awakening of the planet is for those that are coming to this place or having that shift, seeking information on any level to help them understand what's going on. And to get beyond the the false news, the infiltration of this field, the scare techniques, you know, into really what is the path that leads to the awakening. But before we delve into the world of extraterrestrial encounters, if you don't mind, let's take a quick minute to share with the listeners who may not be as familiar with you. I don't think that's many. But how your journey started. You were a nurse, a midwife, a health educator kind of immersed in the 3D world in your career. You're a professional counselor for the National Health Service in the UK, and then migrated to Western Australia in 91, again, doing some work with Australian counseling agencies. But then about three years later, you began your own private practice as a professional counselor and hypnotherapist, and at some point moved to Queensland. I'm curious, had your awakening to expanded consciousness happened before you went into private practice or after? For me, it's a really good question. I, I think in a way, I've always, even before I was fully aware of the multidimensional nature of reality, I was always fascinated, even as a young teenager. If it was a mystery or something <laughs> weird and wonderful, it drew my attention. I, you know, I was brought up in a standard religious background as a Catholic and of course, we honored the spirit in that, despite everything else that I don't subscribe to anymore. But anyway, mm -hmm. um, what it, you know, I always believed there was life after death. That was that was always part of my mandate with my knowing. But a fascination for anything that was unusual was a mystery that was, uh, as I say, strange, weird and wonderful. So if anyone ever saw my library with <laughs> hundreds of books, if it was weird and wonderful, I had a book on it. You know? <laughs> it's a great name for a bookstore, isn't it? Weird and wonderful. And so when you went into your private practice, were you still doing more, if I can use the word, mainstream hypnotherapy? Or did the introduction to extraterrestrial encounters or in whatever way it un enveloped, did that happen pretty early on? I have to admit that I, um, when I was doing my counseling as an agency there, I was invited to join a group of a couple of clinical psychologists, a nursing sister, um, a trans medium, and I was, we were offered to learn how to open up um, our, ourselves to the spiritual realm in a very practical, real way. And that was profound for me because I, I, re I didn't realize that something I have since, that everyone has this ability to communicate to the other realms, that it isn't only gifted people that can do this, right. but we also do it. And so I spent three years training um, and energy healing, remote healing, 
everything from dowsing to psychometry, et cetera. And coming from the perspective that I perceived of myself, which is I'm far too normal and grounded to mm-hmm. do any stuff, I discovered that, it, that, in fact, that's exactly what was happening. I was able to pick up information on multiple levels that I couldn't consciously quantify. That was profound because that was the experiential side of my awakening. Beautiful. And that really collaborates and, and really supports that validation. Now, without um, asking your age, I'm not going to do that, but I, I feel it's important for some of our listeners who may not feel they've yet found their mission in their path. You had a full career before coming to this point. So you weren't necessarily in your, in your late teens when this happened. I have to say, I'm <laughs> um, once a bit slow off the mark. No. Um, you know, for me, it was a process, and I'm very grateful for that process because I went from the very 3D nursing, midwifery, grounded, scientific perspective into counseling, which was another level of looking right. at health, looking at, you know, um, how we operate in this society, to looking at the ultimately the spiritual component to that, because it became very clear, especially when I did grief and bereavement counseling mm. with those dying from, you know, in hospice, they were faced with their mortality. And what they asked me is, what did I believe? Um, and we would get into these deep philosophical discussions. And I had read books on near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, remote viewing, Um, a whole range of experiences that demonstrated without doubt to me that consciousness was separate from the physical body. And I ended up doing hypnosis and learning hypnosis and then taking people into past lives. And that was very, very profound. That's so beautiful. And again, I just want to reinforce to those that are listening to not give up. You know, everything happens in divine timing. And so Mary, who's now world renowned for your contribution to the research, you know, it wasn't something that you were necessarily born with. You had some inclinations, but it was something that opened up to you. So listeners that may be questioning that if you haven't found your mission, that I really want that to stick home. So you're doing past life regressions. And and when, what was your first introduction to someone who was asking you about extraterrestrial encounters? That again is the wonderful synchronicity Mm. that I believe our soul orchestrates for (laughs) us. Um, Because I honestly believe that we plan out our adventure on this planet when we come here. And much of my information supports that. So for me, um, it was while I was opening up to all this, a gentleman came walking through the door and said he'd heard I was open-minded for this. There were no support groups for this. Everyone thought you were crazy. Right. And he, he was having experiences. His whole family were having, waking up with marks on the body, shaved areas. His partner was terrified, etc., etc. Two or three weeks prior to this, I'd read two books, one <laughs> Streamer Communion, and the other one was by the former professor of psychiatry at Harvard University, Dr. John Mack, who had written the book Abduction, Human Encounters with Aliens. So you can tell me if that wasn't orchestrated, because I'm pretty certain it was. Exactly. Now, on my end, you bleeped out a little bit when you mentioned the first book. So just for our listeners, could you um, just repeat that one? Yes, that was Communion by Whitney Strieber. 
Perfect. Thank you. And so in your work, you differentiate, if I'm correct, between contactees, experiencers, and abductees. How would you like to elaborate on that a little bit or correct me if I'm not summarizing it correctly? The problem with the term abduction or abductees I have had is that with many people, they don't feel they're abducted. Mm -hmm. They think on some level there is a consensual side to this. So we, we call those either contactees or experiencers. There are many that start out thinking that, they're, that, that they've been abducted against their will, but later on discovering that that's not the case. So the problem with abduction is the negative connotation because it doesn't necessarily reflect the experience that someone has. So experiences of an extraordinary reality is far more accurate in my my term because it hasn't got anything that has a connotation to it either positive or negative. And how long were you working with experiencers before the universe opened you up to this field of study with the new humans? Well, it's been 25 years now. And mm -hmm. when I realized that this particular gentleman wasn't, it wasn't a rare thing that the mm -hmm. one had it, I started a support group and 12 people turned up. And then from that, it just grew and it grew till now I've worked with over 3,000 individuals and families. But the thing that was significant was when I wrote the book Awakening was I realized that this was intergenerational in most cases, that it, it followed family lines. And so there was always the children that the parents would be concerned about saying, I think my son or my daughter is having experiences it's very similar to what I remember experiencing. So this was very intriguing because, it, you know, they all want to know why me, you know, what is the purpose of this and why my children? Absolutely. Now, where did Tracy Taylor come into the play? You mentioned in your book, if I read it correctly, that she kind of also was a, a catalyst for your research with the new humans. Well, she was one of the new generations, as far mm -hmm. as I can see, that had a lot more awareness of their nature, of who they were, their connection to these visitors, um, these star beings. She very much felt they were family. She was aware um, of being told, without any belief system around it, that she was one of them and that we were, in fact, um, in designed by these intelligences. This was something completely contradictory to what she had been educated to believe. So she was getting information, but not only that, she was finding herself spontaneously drawing these amazing artwork, complex geometric artwork that happened without any conscious thought. It was just something that she started to do. And this was fascinating and she didn't know what to do with it but she knew it was significant and I was looking at this because people will say well where is the evidence mm. they, have, they have brought a piece of the craft you know, they, <laughs> you know they haven't brought one of the beings to say hello so how do we know this is real well the evidence is in the changes that it makes in individual after contact and one of them is the artwork some people start articulating star languages, as Tracy did, and many others. Some also find themselves writing strange scripts. 
or um, look like shorthand in many cases, um, and this kind of ancient writing. And so there's a whole range of things that manifest after contact, which is absolutely crucial to its reality because you don't start doing this unless something very real and very profound has occurred. And that corroboration of information from drawings, I remember in the book, an image that I'm going to describe as like our American football um, goalpost that someone had drawn. And then you sent it to another family to look at. Do you remember what I'm talking of? The image that looks kind of like a a, a Y, but with more of a flat bottom part. Um, yes. Yeah. And so that image that was drawn by one of the children that you had been speaking to, or whose parents had contacted you, um, and, and they didn't know what it was. And then you sent it to, to another family with a child who'd been having contact experiences. Absolutely. One of the things that's been crucial for me is when someone explains or articulates an experience, if I can um, get data that will corroborate that from somebody else, then that makes it even more compelling and more tangible. And this was particularly an interesting one because both the young, um, the children, the, the first child had talked about being taken to Mars and things that took her there on spacecraft. She talked about things on Mars and this particular symbol. And she'd got a sense of it but wanted to understand more. So her mother wrote to me and said, look, is there anyone else that can tell me what this symbol is? Because my daughter says she saw it when she was taken to Mars. I coincidentally had another young lady. She was seven or eight, same kind of age. And I sent this symbol to the parents of this young lady. And I said, ask your daughter if this is something that she recognized. The father was really good. He didn't give her any front loading. He didn't tell her where it was from. All he said was, have you ever seen this? And does it mean anything to you? And immediately said, oh, yes, it means et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I've seen it on board craft. I literally sent that back to the other family and the little girl that got the explanation said, yes, she said, that's how I understood it too. So two, indiv- two children, approximately similar ages, both seeing the same symbol, both talking about their trips to Mars. Now, the, you know, whichever way you want to look at that, it's very hard for you to dismiss that kind of data. Absolutely. And it was something about that they had were contacting her as if she was family or connected and that they were keeping an keeping an eye on her in a protective way if I remember correctly which is really a beautiful and comforting feeling to have now we're talking about the the I don't know, stories isn't the right word but the kind of experiences that you detail in the book the new human and I just want to clarify that much of your work with experiencers is through your amazing gift of hypnotherapy and we're going to discuss that in our after the show segment But you state in the book, The New Human, that the research you've included did not come from hypnotherapy sessions. Would you explain your reasoning behind that and what process you did use in compiling all that amazing information? Well, there's a lot of misconceptions about hypnosis. Mm -hmm. There, There are those that always are very wary about any information that comes in an altered state. With the children... Most of them did not need hypnosis anyway. They 
You were telling us about the process you used in retelling the research in the book, The New Humans, and why you chose not to use hypnotherapy. Well, first of all, with the children, primarily they remember consciously. They will have an experience the night before and tell mum or dad about it. Um, and, And it's very compelling when it comes from conscious memory where they give a lot of detail. So this was their story. So part of the reason for writing this um, in this way was to, if you like, show the naysayers that this is conscious recall and the detail of it was very compelling as well. So that was part of the reason for writing conscious um, experiences. This also was the same with the teenagers. Many of them have absolute conscious recall. And the get, again, it's, it's conscious recall with detail. Mm. For me, if I wanted to know about something, I'd ask them about something and I'd, I'd ask questions around it. They would be able to give me in, in minute detail things about the beings, where they were. And I'd ask for drawings. They would do drawings to show me as well. So for me, that was very, very compelling. And one of the things I did state in that book is I also didn't edit anything because I wasn't there to tell people what was um, what was a reality or not. They had to make up their own mind because at the end of the day, um, for me, their story is their story. Their accounts are their accounts. Even if it challenges you, this is what they say they're experiencing. And again, with with even the adults that I include in this in this the the, the book, the new human, it was all conscious recall. There was no hypnosis in any of them. When I had the dialogue with the children, that was dialogue that I transcribed from our, our interviews together. So again, it wasn't under hypnosis. It was purely as they remembered it consciously. And I felt that that was very, very compelling and very important, even although I find that the the information via hypnosis is just as compelling. And one of the things I remind people who are in this field that have a problem with it was Dr. John Mack um, in his books, both in Abduction and Passport to the uh, uh, the Cosmos, was a professor of psychiatry. He had done all the psychological testing on individuals. He was absolutely clear that this was a reality and he believed that information gained through hypnosis actually had more integrity than conscious recall simply because the subconscious does not edit the material Mm. or the data in the same way we might do when we um, articulate it from a conscious perspective. I absolutely concur with that because what I say to people when I do hypnosis is it's important that everything you get, you tell me. You don't think about it first because if you think about it, then you may very well edit and and change the data. And it's really important you say it as you see it and as we go through that experience because I'm absolutely convinced that when you take somebody into hypnosis, this is the subconscious talking. It's the subconscious that doesn't care whether you think this is a reality or not, and doesn't care about your religious beliefs or your scientific beliefs or your anthropological beliefs. It is saying, this is what I've recorded of their experience. This is what's going on. 
And quite honestly, it's about time we, work, work, you know, we woke up and smelt the roses and realised <laughs> we haven't got a clue what reality is. We're only, <laughs> so, you know, get over it. Absolutely. And I think one of the things about some of the children at the younger ages, and especially these star children, is they haven't gone through the the, the shielding, the veiling that suppresses a lot of that, that makes them want to edit. They're not looking for approval. They're just kind of talking in the now moment they're living in. And one of my favorites, I think, in the book was Kathy from Europe, who at the time you wrote the book was nine years old. Um, and, and I know you I know you've got a lot of stories in there, but do you remember, can you explain Kathy's comment that Mary has big ears to our listeners? Well, um, initially the mother, who actually is a teacher, got in touch with me and she explained to me that she'd been watching one of my presentations where the languages, people were articulating the star languages. And a daughter I call Kathy said, I can speak those languages and I can speak one of them that actually heals water. Mm. The mother was fascinated um, with with her explanation, and she actually tested her daughter and told me that the water um, actually um, tasted different. But not only that, she spoke about two of her beings that were her guides. One was a blue being, the other one was a green being. Of the books, um, not real books, but books that had information about the true nature of reality, about um, our spiritual world, a whole range of, of different information. But the other thing was that she said that the sad thing was that these new children that were coming in like herself were often, when they're educated, they, they programmed them out of their light. She, that was the way she said it. And the teachers just pressed the keys. Mm. And she was explaining to me how hard it is to go to school because it's like a prison. It's a school that um, doesn't make any sense because the information isn't accurate as far as she's concerned because she learns from her, her guides what the truth is. But one of the things that when we finally did talk over Skype via an interpreter, um, and I was, I was really keen to hear just how she articulated things. And at the end of the interview, when she was telling me about how people are manipulated on this planet, how many star seeds were on the planet. Remember, she's nine years old, talking, right. talking to a stranger on the other side of the world. And she ended up by saying, Mary's got big ears. And um, I, I sort of said, well, um, okay. Um, <laughs> and the interpreter laughed and got her to explain. And she said, well, Mary actually listens, but most adults don't. Exactly. I love that. That's a great way to explain it, that you've got the big ears, you're willing to listen it. And as you share in the book, a lot of these star sea children feel into your energy and they feel that connection. They feel that veracity. They feel that frequency that you hold. And so they know it's a safe place to share their experiences. That, Ashley, is absolutely correct. And when I say to people, if you want to try and trick one of these children, mm. <laughs> don't be on a loser, because I always remember this nine-year-old who I was talking to his father in the U.S., and he suddenly said, can I speak to Mary? And I actually said to him, why is it you feel you can speak to me? And he said, it's because of your frequency. And then he proceeded to tell me that he, his previous life was on Orion. He was a light physicist and that he was working on time travel technology. 
And his biggest problem on this planet was the scientists are so behind yeah. in understanding. So, yes, they will look at you, they will feel you, they will sense you, and they will know whether it's safe or not to actually talk to you and tell you. So you can't con them. Because um, one little boy I was talking to, all of seven years old, when I was in the U.S. recently, and he said, you know, I can tell when people are telling the truth and when they're lying. And I said, so what does it feel like? And he said, well, when they're lying, I go all cold. He said, mm. when, when they speak the truth, I'm all warm. So that was how he discerned, you know, um, what he was getting from, the, from a person. Well, it's interesting that Kathy also shared, I, I don't know if this is information from her guides or her own innate wisdom, that 40 to 50% of children are star kids, but only 20% will actually remember. Perhaps that means will remember in their youth. And is that because of it being programmed out of them? Do you have any further information on that from her? Yes, it was primarily they all come in with that awareness, but through the programming on this planet they lose a lot of that awareness. And, and that's why I believe we have these new programs of human now, which mm. I, which you know are often labeled as dysfunctional, but are actually, I believe, wired differently. Um, and you, you call them the letter children. Can you explain that a little bit more? It's not, it's not actually my terminology. Dr. Lena Olson, a molecular biologist, labels herself a letter mm. she's part ADHD part Asperger's um, part dyslexic and she said that's why she calls herself a letter person but what we're looking at there's lots of names and one of them is obviously star children um, or the new human the new generations of human they've been called indigos they've been called crystal children rainbow children they're just different programs of the new human but they all have different qualities but the reason I think they have these labels is because we haven't understood how different they are. And it's because I believe that they are wired differently so they are not so easily programmed into the old mandate, into the old consciousness. They need to be, um, if you like, protected from taking on the, this educational um, mandate of 3D that tells us unless it's we can touch it, feel it, see it, hear it, etc. It's not real when, in fact, we're multidimensional. So they're being, to a certain extent, by being wired differently, are harder to program into an inaccurate paradigm. But they're seen as dysfunctional. And Dr. Lena Olson calls them letter people because of her own experience as a letter person. Mm. And with that, she knows that there's ways of helping them without sticking medicine down their face, Ritalin, etc. you can actually balance them out with certain vitamins, certain diet, and other protocols that are natural and that will not harm them in the way that certain medications will. Absolutely. I mean, just being aware of how sensitive they are to all the frequencies. And when you look at the microwaves and the mobile phones and the wireless Wi-Fi, and now here the smart meters, uh, you know, Kathy refers to a little bit of that as well when she talks about the humanity awakening. But when you have children with that type of an energy field, understanding how sensitive they are to frequency of food, of the environment, and electromagnetically is crucial. 
absolutely. And we have to be aware that um, whether we want to believe this or not, and I'd ask your listeners to explore it if they're not sure, mm. is many things that um, are dumbing down these new children. And it's everything from chemtrails right through to fluoride in the water to the preservatives in the food and colorants and all the things that are in there. And also the, the numbers of vaccinations they're exposed yes. Um, are all part of a way of shutting these children down. Don't take my word for it. Look into it for yourself and make up your own mind. But there is no doubt in my mind that this is certainly a worldwide conspiracy to shut these amazing new beings down. Well, and you look at the dependency and, and the brainwashing of being hooked on iPads or tablets or phones and now the new thing here in the states is these virtual reality goggles that you put on and you immerse yourself in a world that's part of the game or whatever and i i cannot wear those you know i can feel them scrambling my brain waves but it's like the newest thing being pushed on the youth here in america you're absolutely correct this these technologies what they're doing is they um excite the child into the virtual reality of technology without realizing they've got their own virtual reality mm -hmm. <laughs> technology. And what it does is divorce them from that. It actually shuts them down so that they then rely on the technology rather than their own awareness. And believe me, their awareness is quite astounding. Exactly. Some of the things that I, I've heard that they're aware of, I mean, a lovely little story recently was um, a little seven-year-old that went was in Glastonbury and he went up on the Glastonbury tour which is a very mm. spot in Glastonbury lots of wind and the mother he, she, he, he said to his mum I can do something with the element of the wind he said and he told her it the wind came from Italy and he actually asked and element telling it to just be more gentle mm. and I can talk to the elements. And he also has told her he can talk to crystals. He can talk to plants as well as to animals. Now, that's not just one child telling me this. I've been hearing this from uh, other children as well. So their abilities are extraordinary as long as they're not shut down. And technology is one of the ways that they get in, if you like, excited to get so involved with that other part of them is shutting down. Now you talk in the book about confirmation from molecular biologists and astrophysicists that changes are happening to the human DNA and that numerous genomes have been added to the human genome. From your perspective, is this happening mainly for the new children being birthed or for those of us already on the planet, is there research showing that our genomes are shifting as well? It's a good question. I wish I had mm. the, uh, the laboratories and medical <laughs> available to see what's happening. All I can, all I know from my research to date is that it indicates without question, we're, in, we're a, um, a genetically designed species and that what we used to call the gods which um, were really extraterrestrials that appeared to the, the, the people at primitive people as gods were the ones that that genetically engineered us from indigenous um, 
sapiens, uh, you know, the Neanderthal, the Cro-Magnon were all then genetically engineered to create Homo sapiens sapiens. I go into detail on the DNA mm-hmm. um, in my book, but the, the point to add here is we know categorically that we have 223 genes that are an insert of genetic material. And this happened when we be, we had this shift in uh, twice the brain size, where everything changed for us and we became Homo sapiens sapiens. So for me, that's a done deal. Um, and there's been geneticists that have admitted that this is the case. The next thing, though, is what is going on now and why these children different? It seems to be they're coming in a lot more awake and aware. So it suggests to me that what we have, what has been called junk DNA or mm. DNA is the DNA that we have from these intelligences that is being activated. And we've got many healers now many of those across the globe that are talking about activating DNA, using frequencies, using healing, language, etc. And one of them, of course, I write about in my book in Chapter 19 is Dr. Marie Batchelor, mm-hmm. a medical doctor who had this activation and awakening when she was in India and now acts as a shamanic healer, MD, um, where she's activating DNA. And what's happening is the children have come in with more activated DNA. That's why they're able to operate on this other level. But we, as the older models, are not left behind. All it means is that we also need that activation. We have within us, all of us, the abilities to do exactly what these new children are doing. It's just that we've been hampered by our programming. And and that makes a big difference in the fact that our DNA is still needing to be activated so that we can operate that way. Many people, even from 2012, have had these kinds of activations going from a materialistic focus and lifestyle into suddenly waking up and feeling completely different and exploring their spirituality, changing their lifestyle, changing their diet, changing their materialistic focus. And that's been happening in the space of a few short years. This has been going on. So there is no doubt in my mind that we are going through a major shift in in consciousness, in awareness, and it's happening globally. Um, but the children are coming in just that little bit more ahead of us at the moment. Well, uh, Kathy and I think some of the other children and parents talk about the attempts to shut down the star children beyond the programming of the education system at actually through some covert operations, if you will. And I want to get your opinion on something. When I lived in Australia, I left in 2004. I was there for about 15 years. Unfortunately, I didn't connect with you then. But I remember a program that was being promoted and the public service announcements or ads went something like, get your child's DNA tested because they may have a protein that is found in successful athletes with the kind of intonation being then parents, you can retire in style. And I don't know if you remember that promotion, but I remember the hairs on the back of my neck going up, my spidey senses going off without getting too far into conspiracy, but it felt like a covert way of tracking and creating a database, identifying children with this higher frequency. Do you have any thoughts on that? I have some thoughts. I don't, I didn't know that. Mm. You Absolutely, they are looking for these children. And one of the best ways is in the DNA and the energy signature of that DNA. And that's a very good way 
of getting parents to be really excited. Maybe their child is different. <laughs> so they're using that to pull them in. The whole idea, one of the reasons for people not realizing that by giving their DNA, there are that is being used for multiple things. You've just Absolutely. got to be aware of that. And I was talking to a 17-year-old um, starseed, a young lady, Marina, in in Spain, and she was telling me she was she was aware that they were aware of her at six months old, and mm -hmm. at six years old there were black helicopters going over the house, and that she was aware at thirteen that they were that she was getting all these strange messages in her head to go and and do something around aliens and go to the U.S. She realized she was being targeted. Make no mistake, there is covert agencies that are looking absolutely for these special kids because they want to use them for their own agendas. And these children know it. A lot of them absolutely know it. So we can't close our eyes and say everything is love and light because yeah. it, <laughs> it isn't. No, and it, you have a whole chapter devoted to, <laughs> excuse me, offward intelligence and mind control. And I'm curious, in your conversations, have you found any reoccurring themes that seem to happen when it's more of what you call a pseudo-abduction or a MyLab experience as compared to an actual multidimensional connection? That's a very good question. And it first came to light when I was running experiencer groups, mm -hmm. um, particularly when I came to America, um, because the experiencer groups that when I was at doing conferences were sometimes 60 or 70 individuals would be there. And there was always a percentage, probably 15 to 20 percent of the those that attended that were absolutely terrified and traumatized. And, and they they were this was real, amazing trauma and dreadful trauma. What I discovered was the most traumatized I've ever come across usually have a background in my lab. Mm -hmm programs. This is often that what I call the, the human orchestrated um, abduction scenario. And they are the ones that we know uh, by treated with violence, etc, etc. Um, and the, the reason behind it, when you look into the MyLab research, primarily is to make sure, first of all, they want to know what you've experienced on board craft. They want to understand what's going on or the agendas of these intelligences, but they also want to make sure you never talk about it. Right. So those are the parts of the agendas as well as utilize you. And I'm going to add this because it's come to mind. Also, people that go outside and they find themselves seeing a craft, they just got this feeling they go outside and what have you. Often they're pulling, the craft is coming in because they're related or connected to those particular intelligences. But if the covert agencies know they're one of those, they actually target them. When the craft comes in, all of a sudden, you've got military aircraft, you've got helicopters. One of the individual that's pulling them in. And is it also possible that this pseudo-abductee and these experiences, in addition to trying to get them not to talk, it also feeds the false flag fear factor 
that when the governments of the world have lost control, when more people have woken up, they have that false flag in their back pocket to create an alien invasion to put people back into fear. And some of the children in your book talk about that. Absolutely. It's part of the protocol. And what, what I've learned is um, only re in recent times, uh, one of the, the individuals that I was supporting um, through hypnosis was given this huge, gigantic image of a mantid being through a, a, a programming by these military, these corporate agencies. And it was what she kept getting with this huge image of the mantid being was this is evil, this is bad, this is evil, this is bad. And this was, she saw as a projection that was programming her into believing that they were um, bad beings. But also we have the program life forms, which are not really ETs either, that are part of this programming um, that makes you believe that the non-human the non intelligences are, are the evil ones, when in fact that's been a program by our own military and covert agencies. Exactly, exactly. Now, I know that one of the things that has come out since the book was published in 2016 and again in 2017 was the matter-of-fact discussion from many of the children about meeting hybrid children or being hybrid children. We've got about seven minutes left. We, we will talk more in after the show, but I did want to open that up for you to, to bring up the highlights of what that passion is for you as these new revelations of hybrid children contacting their siblings, their human siblings, and perhaps like Zach being aware that he was hybrid or is hybrid. Absolutely. A lot of the, the new generations of human um, are very aware of either dual consciousness or a connection to their star family, whether or not it's Pleiadian, Arcturian, Orion or whatever. They're very aware they, that that is family for them. That's their star family. Um, you know, I had an eight-year-old explain that his family was the mantid and he was going to, when he dies, he would go back into the mantid form. So this hype, there are levels of hybrid, of hybridization, if you like, of awareness. Some of them have, some are more activated, having more of the qualities of the star being than they do of the human. But not only that, they're aware that they may have siblings on board craft. And very recently, I was talking to a lady um, from Brazil, actually, um, who um, was uh, in a hotel, saw this little girl. This little girl looked as though she needed a mother. As she was looking at her, she, the whole face changed into a more feline look, and she got mm. absolutely terrified. Later on board craft, she saw this little girl and realized that she was one of her hybrid children. And she had more than one. But she also said this little girl and her, her, her child, they often play together on board craft. So basically getting, um, seeing their siblings on board craft and doing things with their siblings. So there's a whole big program here that we're still trying to understand, which is the hybrid program. What level of, um, of hybrid are they? How much more of a particular gene that they have uh, or DNA from what species. So we've probably got different levels of genetics from different um, uh, types of beings from different places. And this is going to be a different way of looking at what hybrids are. We can't just say um, they're a hybrid. There'll be more that we need to find out. What Zach was saying was very clear. We have DNA of at least 12 different other species. Mm -hmm. And as our frequency 
rises, we activate more of the DNA of those species so that we may end up feeling connected, not just to Pleiadian, but to Orions or Sirius or whatever. As our, our frequency rises, we're activating that part of our DNA. So we're also taking on the qualities of those particular species and the awareness of those particular species as well. So this is how the human is becoming more of a new human and more connected to its <coughs> cosmic heritage. Excuse me. And we will continue that in the after the show, because I do want to talk more about Zach. And I do want to mention to those parents that are listening that in the book, there is some conversation of if you have a child that you feel has this awareness, some of the suggestions of things do. And please do listen in to the after the show that will be up on my YouTube channel on Monday as we'll dive more into this. But we have about two minutes left here on the BBS radio system on Threshold to Ascension Radio. So Mary, how can people read more about your work? How can they contact you if they want to have a session or send you information about their child and what's happening for you um, in the in this quarter of 2019? Very easy. Go onto Google and Google Mary Rogers. <laughs> are all there and available and also my site at cern.com.au or maryrodwell.com.au or the alien lady. I have a Facebook and the books are available through me or through Amazon. So it's very, very easy to connect with me. Perfect. And are you are you doing any personal um, appearances in the first quarter of 2018? I am. I'm speaking at UFO Megacon in Laughlin, Nevada in the latter end of March. And I'm also speaking at Contact in the Desert um, in uh, late May, early June. But I'm also speaking in Brazil. I know. So because um, my book is being launched in Portuguese, that's that's new. fantastic. And are, is that information on your website, the Brazil um, appearance? That's all coming up. It's on my Facebook. Okay. I'm having my website redesigned at the moment. So mm -hmm. I've just got the old one, but the new one, it will have it up. Fantastic. Well, Mary, I just want to thank you. I know that we've you've given the listeners a lot to think about and I'd like to also stress that as we'll talk in the episode of the show, there's a lot to be encouraged by as well. And, and we'll go into that a little bit more. But to everyone out there, the family of Threshold to Ascension Radio, thank you for joining us. Keep holding that light that you are. And remember, you are part of the shift that will bring us to where we know we're meant to be. Good night, everyone. Much love and heart hugs. Mm -hmm.